attacks of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I am recording a live episode, because it's not really live, I suppose, but it is with an actual person in my kitchen. Yeah, that's why the sound is super weird. Yes, we are literally sitting inside my kitchen. With me today is Steve Tramer, my good friend, who's been on the show many a time, friend of the pod. Welcome back. Hi, Kat. It's me. I'm back. Yeah, it's officially GDC week. We have a couple of drinks. This is becoming an annual tradition. We did this last year. We like literally sat around with a microphone and talked at length about RPGs. This time, we're sitting a lot closer to the microphone. <laughs> it's not nearly as relaxing, but it's fine. Like, Hopefully, we can get a bit better audio quality than last year, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully, it'll work out pretty good. Indeed. So... Uh, we're going to talk about a range of topics. You know, we're not going to have any, any set topic plan, but I, I know that we're going to talk a little bit about what I've seen at GDC. Yep. Because I've been to some RPG panels. Going to yep. talk a little bit about what I've learned. Exciting things. Yes, very exciting. You're going to have to give me a Chrono Trigger update. I'm, oh, do I? Do I have to give you a Chrono Trigger update? Well, you don't have to. I mean, like, good if you Nani's, Nani's going to be really jealous if I do that, though. She's oh, going to yeah, be, like, kind of right. upset if I do that, but it's okay. Sorry, Nadia. If you got to wait until you're on a call with Nadia, then you got to wait. No, no, no. It's cool. Um, I'll check in with her maybe when I've already finished the game or so, but I've made some progress, so I can talk to you a little bit about it. Um, okay. uh, falling off from the gushing gushing about the episode, uh, for, about Chrono Trigger that I did in the last episode. Uh, you've been playing Final Fantasy XV. I've been playing a lot of Final Fantasy XV. Like, an embarrassing amount of Final Fantasy XV. I think we should talk, we should touch a little bit on Torment, Tides, and Numenera. Yeah, we could do that, too. Because uh, I think that there's some discussion to be had about the relative merits about a really narrative-focused RPG. Like, one that's just like, so narratively focused that it's almost to the exclusion of combat at all. Yeah, I don't really know a whole lot about what Numenera is like, so this will be interesting to hear. Yes. Yeah, I really like Torment a lot. No, the reviews are out now. I haven't read any of them yet. Um, spoiler alert. Do you want to know? Yeah, I do want to know. Give me some spoilers. Uh, our reviewer gave it a 4 out of 5. Well, that's pretty solid. But he said it's kind of short. That is actually shocking to hear. When Okay, when he says kind of short, does he mean that it's 20 like, hours. Okay. Because right, I was going to say, like, in the in uh, Planescape, I think I spent like five hours just cruising around the mausoleum. So hearing that this game can be completed in like a reasonable probably 20 to 30 hours, I might actually play it now. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, 20 hours is not bad in the sense of Oh no, 20 hours. Like, I can't deal. No. Like, I actually like it when RPGs are 20 hours. Chrono Trigger is just a beautiful, lean 20 to 30 hours if you really want it to be. That is incredibly generous. Chrono Trigger is, the last couple of times I've played it, it's like 14 to 16 tops. Yeah. But in this case, uh, he was playing Torment and went, oh, that's it? Like. <laughs> oh, so like, it doesn't like end abruptly? Or He seemed to feel that it ended pretty abruptly. Huh. Yeah, so 
Well, I mean, we won't talk about, like, that. Like, I think I'll leave Rowan to talk about that whenever I get him on the podcast. Could be next week. I think I'm going to get him on this week because we're going to be kind of busy with GDC. Mm -hmm. But we do have, I really do want to talk to you about, like, narrative versus, like, combat mechanics and, like, all how all that shakes out. Yeah. Anyway, so I've been at GDC. Yeah. I'm going to share some of the things that I learned. Um, I went to a Horizon Zero Dawn panel. We talked, they talked about quest mechanics. Um, so it turns out they use sticky notes to, uh, put all of that together. The wall of sticky notes. Yeah, you said they took, um, like they had a series of verbs that they put together about either from other RPG quests that they played or what they wanted their game to do. Yeah. They had like a whole, like, uh, kind of a cloud of RPGs, and also my cat is here joining us right yeah, now. Yeah, if you hear a cat on the microphone, it's because there's a cat. He yeah. decided to jump on me. Not this cat, the other cat. <laughs> the other cat. The cat, yes. what is it, friendly? Yes, Hamish. <laughs> okay. yeah, he's a very friendly boy, uh, but he tends to purr into the microphone. Like That is like one of his biggest vice, vices. So it sounds like they just... They sort of did a breakdown of what other quest RPGs with uh, side quest focus, um, heavy side quest focuses were like, and then sort of broke those out into the verbs and then put them all on a board and like drew some lines between them and then said, this is how our quests are going to be. Mm -hmm. Is that more or less accurate to what you saw in the talk? Fairly mechanical. Uh, Yeah. yeah. It's, and that explains why, like I haven't played the game. Uh, I know that, uh, your reviewer Katie didn't like it very much. Not a fan, no. Yeah, but um, from her review and then from some of the other things I've seen people saying about both in positive and negative reviews, it sounds a lot like it's a very mechanical game when it comes to the side quests. And I don't mean mechanical and mechanics focus. I mean mechanical and workmanlike. Yeah, kind of workmanlike. Like they they literally said, "Well, we're a first person shooter developer who's never like done quests before. Um, let us figure out a good system." For putting together tons of side quests. And you know what it actually reminded me of? What? Um, Star Trek Online. Really? Like, launch Star Trek Online. I Which remember is... being on the podcast for launch Star Trek Online. No way, really? Yeah, that was the first podcast we did together. Whoa. Whoa. I thought that was a roguelike episode. That was yeah, it was, online. but it was also when Star Trek Online first came out. Dude, is that six years ago? Is that, that seven, seven years ago? Seven years ago, actually. Shut like, up. almost seven years ago to the week. Oh my god. Okay, but, so, the reason it kind of reminds me of Launch Star Trek Online, which is also extremely mean of me, uh, is that when I reviewed Star Trek Online, the thing that jumped out at me was that the quests seemed really cookie-cutter. Like, the feeling that I got was that they were just trying to turn on as much content as humanly possible. Like, cookie-cutter quests, it doesn't matter, just get content out. And they kind of alluded to as much in the Horizon Zero Dawn talk. They were just kind of going... Yeah, like, we really needed, like, a formula to get as many quests done as humanly possible of varying complexity. And um, and they're like, some of them were com- fairly complex, and some of them weren't so complex. And at the end of the day, like, some of the verbs didn't work out, and we could probably use more of the verbs, like, more of the action words. But at the end of the day, we think that the quest system worked out pretty well. I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I played the game, but... From again, from the things I've heard about it, it sounds like one of the primary complaints is the lack of window dressing. Like all the quests really are framed as go here, do this one thing, then come back and get your reward. Um, 
And then also it sounds like the rewards aren't always necessarily great. And a lot of, I mean, this, last time I was on the pod, I don't think I'd played Witcher 3 yet, but I sunk a lot of time into Witcher 3. And that's a game that also has a lot of quests that when you break them down, they're super cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Like the ver, there are not a lot of variety in the quests. The variety all comes from the way that it's written and the kind of reward that you get out of it, which is a lot of the time, unless the quest is specifically about going out to find something, what you really get out of it is like some weird story thing about the world or you find a cool new monster or something like that. Um, And it seems like one of the things that Horizon Zero Dawn might lack is that kind of window dressing. And when when you get right down to it, a lot of RPG quests, just because the way the games are designed they really need that window dressing. Otherwise, it's going to just feel the same. Some people do better with that than other people, too. So, we've been harsh on Horizon Zero Dawn on this podcast and on the website. Unless you think that this is the bash the Horizon Zero Dawn um, like podcast now, uh, I, I do want to I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that making side quests is actually hard. Yeah, it's super hard, and I don't know if they had an in-house, if they had an in-house writer who was actually... They do now. They do now. Did they, they have one when they were working on the game? They did. They like made a big deal out of that. Did they, they were like an, going, did they have an in-house writer who was writing things other than the main storyline? <laughs> no, they totally had an in-house writing team, and they were very proud of that because they had never had one before. Okay. So that was like a big deal for them, and they were like... That, like when you go to a preview event, like they're always trying to push a narrative on you. Like... So you have to, like, one of the tricks of going to a preview event is immediately identifying the narrative and then trying to forge your own narrative and going, okay, what is the narrative that they want to push? Is that an accurate narrative? And, okay, so what narrative do I, am I getting out of this, right? And the narrative they really wanted to push at the event that I want, went to was, we can write stories! <laughs> the story's real good! What? From my understanding, the story actually is real good. Like, even the negative reviews have mentioned that the story is is really good for a game of this type. Um, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> no, all right. I'm, I'm trying to be nice here. You said that it's not like the uh, beat up on Horizon Zero Dawn cast. You know, uh, you know how we can do that? Let's stop talking about Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, let's do that. Um, I mean, it's a good place to start talking about side quest stuff, because I've been mm. playing a game that also has a lot of side quests that are often of varying quality and... Are, are we doing this? Are we going to talk about Final Fantasy XV? We can talk about something else first if you want, but... All right. Before we get into Final Fantasy fifteen, oh yeah, more um, about GDC. Can I can I uh, tell you like about this like talk that I went to with uh, from Dan Inoue who talked about uh, Final Fantasy fifteen's uh, inspirations for the the characters. Yes. <laughs> so apparently, Gladio was based on what? Well, not based on like. It was kind of a foundational archetype, almost like the character, like. But he specifically called out the name of John McClane from Die Hard. Yeah, no. Um, for Ignis, it was James Bond. His English voice actor does have a British accent. And for Prompto, it was Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller is a jag off, so I can actually kind of see that one. <laughs> And, uh, finally, like, he didn't, apparently didn't have, like, anything in particular in mind for Noctis, uh, our main character, but he, the Japanese voice actor who was playing him said, you know, I just kind of imagine Kurt Cobain as, like, the rock star who's avoiding the spotlight. 
And he was like, huh. And so apparently Kurt Cobain is Noctis. That is a terrible comparison for many reasons. <laughs> um, but I do absolutely get, like, that kind of vibe off the character, which is a person who is famous but doesn't want to be. Mm. Um, like, that is born out in the writing. The other stuff, like, especially the Gladio thing, like, John McClane, which I, I'm assuming he means, like, the, the archetype touchstone of the... <sighs> It's actually really hard to pin down John McClane because that's, in the first Die Hard, that's such a different character from literally every other Die Hard movie. Mm. <laughs> and so it's hard to, it's, when I think of John McClane, it's like, the guy who wants to go back home to see his estranged wife, and he's a decent cop, but he's not really particularly good at anything, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, Die Hard 2 John McClane, who's sort of an action hero, but not really yet. Die Hard 3 John McClane, who's kind of more of a detective. And then there's those other newer ones that I haven't seen that are outrageous. Where he's just literally an 80s action star come back to life. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's my like understanding doing of his thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think he like jumps on a Harrier jet in one of them or something. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Where they just don't even care. It's like, because the whole point of Die Hard 1 was that he was an everyman who bled. Also, he was a xenomorph. Wait, what? <laughs> because the whole point of Die Hard is that it's alien if the xenomorph were the hero. Okay, I've never heard that one before. You haven't heard that one before? I've never heard Think that one before. Think about it. It's, it's a good He's crawling point. around the ducks, yeah. like, getting the people who are trying to kill him. Like, so you're basically rooting for, like, the infection who is, like, crawling around inside, like, the established structure where the humans have all the power. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, like, it's not a bad comparison to make. But no, okay, so, like, the Gladio thing, I sort of get it now that you're like, oh, he's the guy who gets hurt and bleeds and stuff, because Gladio is the only person in the game... Okay, no, I've actually seen some of the Chapter 9 stuff, so I know that he's not the only one. Um, he's... He's the, a dad figure. Yeah, he's, like, the, he's the dad figure. Older he's brother. The, he's the older brother. He's the tough guy. Mm-hmm. He's the one who does take the brunt of the damage, of the hurt. He's always, like, yelling at Noctis to stop being such a jackass. He's a very Japanese archetype in that you have Noctis, whose kid won't grow up, and then you have Gladio, who is the adult, who's telling him to grow the F up. Yeah, which is, like, that's one of the reasons why the John McClane thing is kind of confusing to me, because that's such like, an anime stereotype thing, the Noctis-Gladio relationship. It's one of my favorite things about that game, Mm -hmm. but there's no question that it's, like, a billion percent anime. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you have Ignis, who, I mean, I'll admit I don't really see James Bond in him. I mean, he's kind of suave. Yeah, like I said, I mean, like... I mean, you have, like, hard-ass, suave, goof. And I guess in that respect, you can see, like, broad strokes. Yeah, you can sort of see the broad strokes, like... Ignis for me is the one is the one character in that game who's way more of a cipher in a lot of ways than the other two. He has a cipher. Talk. Did you say cipher, man? I love that character. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, he's like he's super quiet. He doesn't really talk a lot. He's the one who seems to be more interested in like actually thinking things through. None of those things are particularly James Bondy kind of traits either. He's a great cook. He is a great cook. 
the cooking stuff in that game blows my mind how Did you hear good that they literally went out and like cooked the meals? Yes, I did hear that, which is there's a lot of things about Final Fantasy XV that I think are really absurd and kind of great. Um, like, I've heard about the cooking thing. There was the whole thing, um, it was like, I guess, a year out before release where they had that Twitter thing where the guy talked about how they went out into the real world to, like, look at real rocks and model them individually and stuff. <laughs> that game is insane on so many levels. I love it. I love it, too. That game is it's nuts. Yes, it's so good. Uh, and I would say that, so here's the thing, like, they were saying that one of the reasons that, in their opinion, it works is that the characters um, are the all, all the heroes in their own minds, that they all are have their own egos, they all think that they're the only sane man in, like, that little group, and you know what? I kind of see it. I also totally see that, with the exception of Prompto. Prompto, like, acts out, but, like... Prompto has real self, uh, self-esteem self issues. Yeah, that's something that comes out, but it's also something that's only really clear if like, you look at the extended universe materials, hmm. which is one of those things about Final Fantasy XV that I think is maybe not so great. They put, no. they put a bunch of stuff like in... Uh, I think in this case it was in the, um, the Brotherhood anime series, like the hmm. short little five-episode series, where... They kind of give like the like a ten or fifteen minute backstory on each of the characters. It's kind of like, come on, guys, you could you could put that in the game, maybe. With uh, with respect to a friend that I know is listening to this podcast, and I know he's going to be like the next time we get together. But uh, he, one of the things that he always says to me um, is like, "Oh, well, you know, if you read the source material, it's good." And he does that like with Star Wars, and he does that with um, and he did that with Final Fantasy fifteen, and I'm like. With respect, uh, if it doesn't stand up within, like, the actual context of the story, it's not a good story. Also, isn't the source material of Final Fantasy XV Final Fantasy XV? I mean, Kingsglaive and Brotherhood. It's all the tertiary stuff. Tertiary transmedia stuff. But they made it, like, a big important part of the actual story. But the problem is I'm not going to watch Brotherhood. Yeah, and I'll, so I did watch a couple episodes of Brotherhood because my girlfriend watched it, and she got mm. like she she was fine with it. She's like, I've got an hour to kill, um, and then she was like, Okay, you get you need to watch the Prompto one at least, and like it's not great. Like these are on their own; these are not things that would be any good at all. As things that I watch after putting over forty hours into Final Fantasy fifteen. It gives a lot of context to the game that the game kind of needs so that you get the full backstory on these characters. Um, But also in a way you kind of don't really need the full backstory on them because they're really well defined through the way they interact with each other and the kind of unique voices that they have. So it's, you know, it's a little of of each, right? Like, it should have been there if they were going to do it, but they didn't really need to do it. I was going to say that yeah, like, I don't, I don't know, like, at the end of the day, like, I didn't really need the context, because, like, I actually got a pretty good feel for the stakes, like, early on, like, it was like, okay, uh, the kingdom has fallen, you are on your own, and they did a really, actually, one of the, my favorite parts of the entire game was that moment when they hear that the kingdom has fallen, and they are actually on their own, and, like, they're all kind of freaking out and everything, and, like, you see the way that they're bouncing off one another, like, that actually, that scene actually worked out really well for me. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, the big story beats in that game so far for me, 
Um, I've played up through, I think, like the end of chapter nine, sort of chapter 10, like after all the Leviathan stuff. Sure. Um, and going to the new continent is like the stuff that I've seen. The major story beats in that game all hit really well. Mm-hmm. Like they're all scripted really well. They're written really well. They're voice acted really well. Even though it's one giant quick time event, essentially the Leviathan stuff actually worked for me. The Leviathan stuff is super cool. Like I was when I was playing, like holy crap! Like this is awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's yeah, it is totally a glorified cutscene. But also, a lot of things in that game feel like a glorified cutscene. Um, there's a really excellent rhythm to the combat, but there's also no denying that. Oh, I hold down the circle button. I hold down the square button. I yeah. hold down the circle button. Like mostly, what you're doing is you're interacting with the game in like the loosest possible way to kind of feel good about it. You're really just watching what's going on because it looks super cool and it's fun to watch yes it is uh when i was talking about it in my review like i I talked a little bit about how one of the things that really bugged me is that like it just didn't feel like it was possible for me to die like not until the very end of the game like they made they gave you way too much rope when it came to like you get knocked out and then you could you would get knocked down, but you could come back. And But even if you got knocked out, you still had time to give yourself a phoenix down. Yeah. Like, there was just, like, no way you were going to die unless your whole party got ground down in the dust and you ran out, out of all of your items, which happened to me exactly once on a particularly tough, like, he was, like, the second to last boss. Yeah, so I've done, uh, I did a couple of, like, the higher level hunts, um, because of some of the items that you got with the, the Chocomog, the Chocobo Festival thing, I started playing this game like really early this year. Um, one of them is a is an um, an accessory that when you put it on, you don't tally experience at camp, so you can like just grind up a whole bunch of experience, then blow it all at a two times or three times hotel. Um, so at the point that I'm at in the game, I'm like at level 40 or 45 or something. I'm clearly doing what's clearly meant to be endgame content. <laughs> um, and some of that stuff is super hard. Like, it's actually really challenging and fun, and there's a good rhythm to those fights. Outside of that stuff, it's not interesting at all. <laughs> yeah. So you, you told me, I think off the podcast, that you're really taking your time because you don't really feel like engaging with the infamous Chapter 13. Um. No, so I have the option because I started playing this in like in mid January, I think, and I'm about I've put 45 hours into this game. This was a lot of time. Um, when I said that I've seen like the stuff from chapter nine onwards, it's because my girlfriend is a little further along in the story than me, and I've been watching her play because I just don't care. But I'm I just started chapter eight at 45 hours, and I know that I'm doing all this extra content. I'm going off and doing all these side quests because it's kind it's. For two reasons. One of them is I know that Chapter 13 patch is coming. I don't even know what happens there. I don't know if the mechanics change or if there's like a really bad story turn or whatever. All I know is that people complained about it to the ends of the earth, to the, and there's a patch coming, and I'm going to wait for that patch before I get to that point in the game. Chapter 13 is not good. Yeah, that's what everyone says. And but it's not, ruin, ruin, it's not ruinously bad. I, I people would like disagree with me on this. I got through it. Like it was a pain in the ass at the time. Like I was going, "Holy crap, what's going on with this?" Like you were also on a review deadline. I was on a review deadline, and I was kind of noting noting that it was bad. But at the same time, it matched. Oh my god, I'm actually defending Chapter Thirteen. <laughs> it matched the mood of the game. 
Like, hmm. that was the point of it, was that it was matching the mood of the story at that moment. Because, spoiler alert, things get actually pretty dark in the back half of the game. Like, it really does test, like, the bonds of friendship. And yes, there is a plot beat where you're like, what? Huh? Where you're going with one of the characters and stuff like that. But for the most part, like, it matched the mood. It just, I think its greatest sin is that it goes way too long. Mm. I re- I'm really, okay, now I'm actually kind of tempted to go and at least watch a playthrough of it or something after I complete the patched content. I wrote an article, I was like, look, it's fine, okay? Stop acting like this is literally unplayable. Like, that's, people are like, Getting really mad now, like, people, I guess, have decided that uh, Tabata and his team are, like, evil or something because they're going to put out this story patch that's going to change things, and they don't feel like they can play it because it's not the real way to play it. Oh, for, for God's sake, just play it, okay? It's it's fine. So from, a, from a history perspective... He's like, not patching the ending. Yeah. So it's from a history perspective... people have done, by the way. Hello, yeah. Bioware. Yeah, Mass Effect 3. From a historical perspective, and I don't know, you're probably going to talk with Frank about this like later in the week on the site or Ooh, something. Yes. But like, there's the fact that people will not be able to play the original Chapter 13 past a certain point, which is a little weird. That's not true. I mean, you could talk. Hmm. I wonder. I guess like, you, you could, could play it offline. Yeah, I guess you could take if a you disc. you really wanted to. Yeah, you could take a disc and pop it in and make sure that you don't have any of the patched content. Yes. I mean, so, if you only play it online, on the... There's a massive day one patch, is what's interesting. So, you wouldn't be able to just do the day one patch, but then not the... Yeah. There are people who've kind of sort of figured out ways to, like, oh, I've hooked up my my PlayStation to, like, sort of this shadow network that behaves kind of like PSN content delivery. That's how people are still downloading PT. Like, it's actually still out there. Wow. Um, yeah, I really need to get you in touch with the people who are actually doing this. You can write about it. But, so there's, like, pro- possibly ways to do that, but it's not like they're archiving each individual Final Fantasy XV patch. You're going to get what's on the disc, or you're going to get what's the latest thing. And sometime, when did they say they're going to drop that story content? End of March? Something like that, yeah. After after March of this year, you're not going to be able to play the original Final Fantasy XV anymore. Or, or I should say, you can play what's on the disc, but you can't play what people played on the first day because there was the day one patch. I mean, that's the case with, like, a lot of games. Yeah, I know. And they're just like, that's a huge other conversation that you should really have with Frank. Uh, that's really interesting, actually. I hadn't ever really considered that. I mean, not to get all sporty on this podcast, but, like, the Madden that I am playing right now is substantial substantially different from the Madden that was released, like, just in terms of gameplay balance and everything, it is, might as well be a different game. Like, it, just in terms of how they have changed everything about it, like, back in the old days, back in the, like, PlayStation 1 days, that would have been, like, three years worth of game right there. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Like, that actually is one of the things that I think is kind of cool about Madden, is that you can actually just go back every year and see how that game has changed. Because mm-hmm. it, it just exists for all time. Mm-hmm. For stuff that gets patched constantly, like MMOs, or now Final Fantasy XV, which um, Jeremy wrote that excellent article for Polygon where he did the interview with Tabata about their plans for Final Fantasy XV as a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like, that game is going to be changing a lot over time, which is super weird to think about for a single-player experience that was authored as start-to-finish content Mm -hmm. that is intended to tell a specific story. And now they're changing something in the middle of that. Like, it was... It was already dubious enough when Bioware kind of did their end of Mass Effect 3 patch, like at least from my perspective. This to me is even weirder because it changes. I don't know if it's going to change the story or if it's going to change the mechanical content of that chapter, if it's going to replace it with something else entirely. Like, I literally have no idea what it's going to be. It's going to be super weird to see and compare what chapter Final Fantasy 15 before this patch and after this patch looks like. No, yeah, you're totally right. And I'm actually, I'm actually wondering if they're doing this. Are they going to patch like other story stuff? I mean, it, a lot of those balance changes, right? Like they're going and making chapter thirteen not quite as annoying. Uh, so it's actually, it's actually mechanics. Stuff. It's like mechanical stuff. They're not literally patching story beats here. Oh, okay. So that's actually something that's been really confusing to me because no one's communicated that particularly well. Yeah. Because every time somebody's talking about the chapter thirteen patch to me, it's like, oh, they're going to fix the story. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, they're going to fix something about this that I thought was really annoying. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could be adding in new story beats, I, but... I, I, generally, think, I so. genuinely don't know. It's super yeah. weird. But the impression that I got was that... And here, here it is. Maybe it's just, like, the impression that I'm getting here, but the impression I got was that they're, they were fixing a lot of the, like... Like, the, the length issues, like, the, the oh. pacing issues. So they're actually going to ch- either cut it down into smaller sections, or they're actually going to, like, cut part of it. It's not going to be as long, because it's way too fucking long. Huh. Part of my language. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, we're adults. Uh, maybe some of your listeners are not adults, though. I know. Sorry, yeah. not adults. Oh, my freaking ears! Well, yeah. That's what they say in Minnesota, right? <laughs> By the way, I've been listening to Talking Simpsons by Bob Mackey, who's been on this podcast before. Really good. You should totally go check it out. It's pretty hilarious. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I was also saying that for the audience, too. But Oh, yeah. Audience. Go listen to these other podcasts that are great. Uh, but keep listening to this one right now. But uh, Yeah. You don't have to go listen to something else right now. But, yeah, like that's kind of where I'm at on Final Fantasy XV. Like, it's, mm-hmm. cool, it's a really cool, fun hangout game. Um, and when I say that, I mean I actually like just... I pop my little, I put my little carboys in their car. I say, "This is the new point on the map that you're going to, and you'll be there in six minutes." I'm going to kick back and I'm going to listen to Final Fantasy VIII soundtrack while you drive there. The side quests aren't good. The side quests are not particularly good. That's a very fetch questy. It is a super fetch questy. But the thing is that I've kind of, I kind of don't mind the fetch questy stuff in that game because. Like, when I say that it's a hangout game, that's really what the focus of that game is. Is It's a game where you're sitting there, and you're spending time with these characters, and it sort of doesn't really matter what you're doing with them. What really matters is that you're spending time with them. And that's, that's why I'm more okay with, oh, the combat isn't the most engaging thing. Oh, the side quests are often kind of lame. To me, the real reward of a lot of that stuff is, oh, I did this side quest and Prompto took, like, this goofy photo. Yes. <laughs> like, to me, like, seriously, that is, to me, what the biggest rewards in Final Fantasy XV are, is at the end of the day, I make a camp, I get, like, the, per- the perfect little finger snap that I just did really bad. There you go, you're better at it. 
And then I get to go through those those 15 photos on Prompto's roll, and every single time I'm like, why did you take a photo of Noxus's ass as he's climbing on a choking ball? <laughs> yes, the, I mean, I'm sorry. That mechanic was brilliant. It is. It, that's what I did not... So, like, the first few hours of that game, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is all right. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get into it or not. And then I started getting into the what that game's core loop really is, which is you wake up in the morning and you go out and you do, like, two or three quests... And then you, you know, you turn them in, maybe you drive around a few places, maybe you go pick some ingredients or do some mining or whatever, maybe you do a story beat. You go and make camp, Ignis cooks, you look at Prompto's photos. And, like, as soon as I started really getting into that loop, like, that's what the engagement is, is seeing what happens at the end of the day with all of these characters. And that's told through the story of Prompto's photos. And, you know, like, they're not always great, most of the time, they don't make sense. <laughs> like, he's honestly really bad at taking photos. Not the best photographer. No, no. he's very bad at it. I wouldn't go as far as to say he's a terrible... But sometimes... But here's the deal. Like, sometimes you get a really good one. And then you save it. And so you go through the photograph, the photo album, and you go, oh, yeah, that part. Yeah, and I'm honestly like, oh, every night it's kind of like, oh, these three or four photos caught my eye. I'm saving these, and, you know, it'll... I'll purge my camera roll at some point in the future and get rid of all the lame ones or the ones that look the same, you know, all that stuff. Like, that's, to me, that's the real reward of the game, is I went out and I did something and then Prompto took a photo of it, and then I'm like, this is good. I I like this shot of, like, Gladio and Ignis, like, stabbing this dude at the same time and looking totally badass. So... The moment that I was into Final Fantasy XV was the, actually the first time that I made camp, and I made dinner, and everybody was sitting around eating dinner, and then I got the photos, and I was like, oh my god, like, that was awesome. And, like, there's that nice little bit of music there, and... Yeah, like, everything about the camping stuff is perfectly fine-tuned to make you feel really good about what's going on. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it was so good. Yeah. And... I mean, to me, like, maybe I put too much weight on that, but, like, I I talked a lot about this in my review. I was like, I was like, the Coral Loop made that game. Yeah, that's really what makes that game interesting is it's a hangout game. You hang out with these guys, and then you see what they did at the end of the day that maybe you as the player didn't quite catch, and it feels good. And then people will go, well... But then, like, you know, at a certain point in the game, like, that goes away, and it becomes basically Final Fantasy Thirteen. Yeah, see, that's the part that I'm really worried about. I do know that it becomes super linear, and you stop making camp, and all this other stuff. But the thing is, is that that part actually isn't that long. Mm. And the other thing is that the core loop of the game is actually the core of the game. Because, uh... You can go and use your time-traveling dog. Yeah, I love the time-traveling dog. You can use your time-traveling dog to go back to the open world anytime you want. Well, I mean, anytime you find the dog. and yeah. Which is just around a save point, because I think the dog is also a save point. And yeah, I think the dog shows up at, like, hotels is what it is. Yes, also dungeons. Oh, he does? Yeah, he'll just I... pop up in a dungeon. Oh, I haven't seen that. That's kind of So, cool. yeah, there have been points where, like... Actually, the reason I stayed sane in Chapter 13 was because the dog pops up a couple times in Chapter 13, and so I would just take it back into the oh, open world to yeah, like go do like, something else. Like, F this, I want to hop I want to hop in my hot pink car with the Chocobo sticker and ride down to the beach with my car boys and do some fishing. Pretty much, yeah. That's yeah. what it amounted to. And 
Like, does it make sense that, does it make sense at all that I am suddenly back in time, but then I'm also getting XP and, like, gear? No. No. No, it does not make sense. And you know what? I don't care. Because when I'm doing that, like, let's be honest, like, it gets kind of dark. It actually gets pretty dark toward the latter quarter of the game. And going back to the open world is a relief. Like, that is like, oh, God, happier times. Yeah, no, this is great. I like it. Okay. Yeah, and it feels like, oh, I go back to the open world, and it feels like the in the future parts of the game, in the linear parts of the game, the open world is just more explicitly a, oh, well, you can just opt out to go and screw around and do stuff. Because in the later parts of the game, it's, hey, Umbra, give me some paw, and then send me back in time. As opposed to, like, the chapters 3 through 8 stuff, which is, oh, you know, I could go do this next story event, but there's this other thing all the way across the map, and I kind of want to go there instead. Yeah. It's the same thing, there's just a different way of presenting it. And it maybe, maybe it is the whole time travel, like the way they frame it as time travel or whatever, that, that rankles people about it, but it's, it's the same thing. So much of video games is how much you're willing to forgive in terms of, like, how much it breaks the immersion and everything. Yeah, the immersion factor of the traveling back to the past, especially when time travel is not an element anywhere else in the story, at least that I've seen. It's not time travel. Okay, kind of, it is, I don't know, like, it's sending you back in your memories. You're not literally yeah. time traveling. It's like, you're going back to your memories, but for some reason you can bring back XP and gear. Yeah, it's... Weird. It, uh, it, it doesn't work. Okay, yeah. but who cares? It's really clumsy, but I'm like getting spec- sent back in time, and that's fine. Yeah, I go back to I go back to my pink car with the chocobo sticker, which it, is really all I care about. It, it's the alternative where you can pass a point of no return and simply not be able to go back. Yeah, so that's actually a thing that um, there were a couple points in the game where I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this because it says you won't be able to return for a while, and it's like, but I want to return. I want to keep yeah. coming back to this. And because then it turns out... Games condition you to think that you can't come back. Right. And then it's like, for the next 45 minutes, you're locked into this story dungeon. Oh, great. Oh, I finished that. Now I'm back in the open world again. Okay, why did you even warn me about that game? That's ridiculous. As opposed to, like, multiple hours, or you just can't go back, period. Yeah, that was actually what I was really worried about. Because um, I think you get that first prompt at the end of Chapter 3 when you're going to drive off with Aaron. Or yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, you won't be able to return for a while. And it's like... No. I'm going to spend the next 20 hours doing everything else I possibly can just in case I can't come back for a while. Congratulations, Final Fantasy XV. You just ensured that like, uh, like a large percentage of your population simply will not advance the story. Yeah, well, I mean, eventually I ran out of stuff to do because, you know, I leveled up a whole bunch, but my gear wasn't good enough for the quests I was getting. And then I was like, oh, I guess I can just go forward. And then 40 minutes later, I'm like, you know, I could have done this a while ago. So I want to get your perspective on this. Okay. Um, last week we were talking about in Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, this like side quest motivations. Um, so the main character, uh, in Katie's opinion, the main character did not have motivation to help people. What do you think about that? Because we were just talking about like suspension of disbelief and that kind of thing. Like, does it matter? Like, does it matter if they have a motivation? Is it okay that they're just doing video game things? So. If for Final Fantasy XV, my understanding is that there's a story turn later on where 
Like, these kids are just screwing around because they're kids and they don't know what else to do, basically. Which, you know, like, that makes sense. It's a character-motivated thing. But also there's this kind of undercurrent of we don't want people to know who we are and also we have no money and desperately need it. And that's where a lot of your side quest rewards are you get money. So it makes sense. And it's kind of hand-waved away in like you know 10 or 15 minutes of cutscene or whatever whenever um when the city is destroyed and then you meet up with core but like i think it's fine i don't need a whole lot of justification in final fantasy 15 to do this stuff because it feels natural for these kids to be doing it mm-hmm. um there's really and part of that is that they're all very well defined characters but also they're just they're all kids who are screwing around and they like screwing around. <laughs> like, especially Prompto and Noctis. Like, it, this, if it was a game where I was playing as just Gladio and Ignis, then I would have way more of a problem with it. Because that but, was one of the things in Horizon Zero Dawn was that the main character was, like, basically, like, abused and, like, treated as an outcast by her tribe, like, her entire life. But now she's, like, going around and helping people rather than... Yeah, and there's... Internal narrative consistency on something like that, super important. Like, if your game is going to have a narrative, it should probably be consistent. Like, there is, if if it was part of the Horizon Zero Dawn storyline that, oh, she was an outcast, but by becoming an altruistic person, like, this is where the story goes, but it doesn't seem like that's actually the storyline. No, it's video game Zero stuff. Dawn. Yeah, it's, well, we need to give you an excuse to do video game stuff, so now you can respond to these people as though you didn't care that they hate you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Final... it's more like she just doesn't have any trust issues. Yeah, and, and also in Final Fantasy XV, there are certain quests, like um, like the Viv quests, where you go and you take a photo for this guy who looks like uh, Hurley from Lost. Like, those quests, he... There are also the jeweler quests, these are characters who, like, recognize who you are, and they know that they're basically just telling you to go off and be, like, a dumb errand boy for them. And Noctis, like, just always gives them shit over it, but then still goes and does it because he doesn't have anything else to do. <laughs> like, that's kind of how it plays out, and that's how the party conversations, whenever you go on those quests, also plays out. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting, though. Like, I'm glad you turned it back to Final Fantasy fifteen. Yeah, see, I'm good at this. So you really like Final Fantasy XV? I really like it a lot so far. And I'm definitely excited to play the DLC stuff that's coming, the individual stories, the individual episode stuff. Um, I'm really intrigued by what the multiplayer is going to look like, because now uh, Tawada has said that it's not going to tie into the main storyline. It's going to be four different characters. And it's like, this is going to be, this is a huge game that they're going to keep supporting for a really long time, mm-hmm. which makes sense. I mean, like, that's a massive world that they've got there, and it's super gorgeous. Like, I love looking at it. Mm-hmm. It is an amazing game. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, I don't know. I'm, maybe the opinion on it that I've got will change further along, but for right now, I'm really enjoying it. And, Enjoying a game for 45 hours is not really a small feat. Especially not when you're in it all. No, especially considering that the other games... What other games have I played that I kind of that I kind of finished up before Final Fantasy XV? There were... Let's see here. I played 
uh, I played a game that was about 10 hours. I did Dishonored 2, which is like maybe about 20 or 30 hours, which was, that was a huge time investment for me. Um, before that I did Mafia 3, which I think is like about a 30 or 40 hour game. But also those games, like I burned the games that, those other games that took me over 30 hours, like I burned months on those. Final Fantasy 15, I've already 45 hours and I've played it for a month and a half. Like, all my free time is getting sunk into that game because that's what I want to play. Hmm. So, in that sense, it's not a chore. You're, like, legitimately enjoying it. So... Yeah, it's... I mean, it's really cool to just... Alright, I'm done with work. I've got, like, a couple of hours. I'm going to sit down on the couch, and I'm going to go do some hunts, and I'm going to go drive to this fishing point, and I'm going to catch, like, these three fish today. Okay, and then I've done a couple of those, and I do a couple of those camping loops where I get to go through the photos, and oh man, this one looks really cool. It's it's a great way to, re- like, it's a really relaxing game. Like, it's way more laid back than I thought it might be. Alright. We should probably talk about something else now. Chrono Trigger? Let's talk about some Chrono Trigger. Let's do some Chrono Trigger. Yeah, so, okay. Um, so the last time I talked, I had just beat Magus. Um... And I had been thrown back into 65 million BC, and there was, uh, and it was like, oh, the climatic battle against the reptites has begun. And I'm like, ah, okay, all right, fine. So I hopped on my, like, pterodactyls and flew over to the reptites and uh, went through a big dungeon, and there was much dinosaur fighting. Yep. And it culminates with me fighting. Like, King Sauron, man. Oh, Ozalon, who is a queen. Whoa, Queen Ozalon lady? Yeah, you didn't pick up on that? No. Oh, yeah, she's a lady. My god, okay, wow. She's a lady. Yeah. Dude dude looks like a lady. Mm, Lady looks like a lady, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my god, I'm like, I guess that makes me sexist, huh? Mm. Nah. Yeah, I'm gonna claim that mantle for me. I'm reclaiming it. Um... Okay, so uh, I was fighting her, and, uh, and the boss battle was fine, um, like killing the, the reptite and then killing the giant... The tyrannosaur? I mean, it was not a tyrannosaur, it was like no, it's a statue something. thing. It's, it's called something else. It is meant to be like a tyrannosaur. I'm trying to remember yeah. what it was originally. Is the localization in the DS version different? Yes. Okay, because I'm trying to remember what it was called on the Super Nintendo. I don't so. remember. But yeah, I, I actually really like that fight a lot. Like the okay, yeah. I should rephrase that. I like the first half of that fight a lot. Yeah, well, you mean when you kill the when it's like the dinosaur, and then yeah. also the but then you take out the reptite, and then it's just a statue thing, and it's yeah, like, and then it's the countdown attack, and it's yeah. essentially a timed race to deal damage before it does its major attack on you. And they rely on that trope quite a bit, actually. They do. Um, I'm trying to remember who wrote this. Somebody I know wrote a really great breakdown of like all the different boss mechanics that are used in Chrono Trigger. Um, and there are... There's basically like four or five of them. And one of them is the, the countdown boss. Um, and this is the first one that really... like It murders you when it gets that countdown. Mm, yeah, no, it does quite a bit of damage. But So then you finish that boss battle and... Uh, the reptile looks up in the sky and is like, oh, crap, the meteor's coming. I can't believe the monkey's won. Is that... Okay, so what is the... Because the... I'm actually really curious what the dialogue there is, because the dialogue there in the Super Nintendo version is great. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because it's... Um, 
I think Isla is looking at, is looking up and she sees the red star. She's like, "Oh, red star fall from the sky, land in the earth, and stain the and stain the earth red." Mm. Like she, it's it's super depressing. Like, yeah, it it's is. and it's one of the really, it's really explicitly violent about what they want to do to humanity. Yeah, like in a way that a lot of the other reptile dialogue isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely. I hadn't really caught into the. Uh, I, I suppose the the fight uh, for survival that was going on. Like, I just thought that they didn't like one another, but I guess that's stupid. But I, w- when I'm, like, watching this thing, like, I'm going, oh, okay, like, the the reptile was like, take care of the earth, essentially. Like, we lost, but... there's Yeah, so there's some of that, too. Like, there's a really weird... Because there's, the, there's her dialogue about the red star fall and stain the earth red, and then there's... Actually, I think that might be the pre-fight dialogue that she has, because you see the red star in the sky. Yeah, she was like, going, why hasn't it fallen yet? Right. And then the dialogue after the fight is, oh, well, you won, so make sure that you don't screw it up. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I, that part of the dialogue I don't remember as well, because it's not as nearly as evocative. Yeah. Um, so I guess the comet falls, um, yeah. and they don't get vaporized, and... Uh, but now, like, it's acknowledged that there's going to be an Ice Age, and I'm like, oh, well, that's great, uh, Ice Age, okay, I mean, this is interesting that it's going to be kind of like the real thing, but not really, but then it's like, oh, that's how Lavos came to Earth, and so here, uh, a few things that jumped out at me when I was, like, hearing this. First of all, kind of reminds me of It. Okay, I've only read some parts of it, so you're going to have to clue me in a little bit here. Okay, spoiler alert. Um, if you haven't read It, maybe, like, this is a spoiler. And spoiler you alert, don't read It. Uh, no, it's... Uh, outside of one scene... <laughs> the one scene, of which is really bad, I'm not going to lie... But, I mean, the whole thing is that, like, the, the villain, um, Pennyworth, the clown, like, came to Earth on, like, a meteor or something. Oh, so it's the color out of space, but it's a clown. Uh, sure, yeah. Okay, great. Well, no, no, the, the whole point of Pennyworth, the clown, is that it's not a fucking clown. Yeah, I know, it's, it's Pennywise, by the way. Penny, Pennyworth. <laughs> Pennyworth, the clown. <laughs> you haven't even had that much to drink. Uh, Pennywise is, like... Basically, like Cthulhu, like yeah. it's like you know all extra dimensional being that's like just looking at it, it's going to drive you insane. But yeah, yeah, but came to Earth in a meteor. But so yeah, I I kind of got that from Lavos, but also um, Pennyworth. Uh, but also, I was struck by the fact that the writing. Um, I think the reason this game works as well as it does is because normally I don't like time-traveling stories, but this one is okay to me because it's a fantasy world where, like, dinosaurs and humans are, like, fighting one another, and, like, there are, like, robots and stuff, and it's acknowledged that this is, like, straight fantasy, but there's time-traveling, and there's a really defined set of, like, time periods that make the world seem more fleshed out and more interesting than it might have otherwise, but at the same time, it doesn't have the same drawbacks as a lot of time travel fiction where, I mean, you don't know the history as it already was. Like, I know that they're, you don't have to have a scene where they're, like, going back to meet Abraham Lincoln and they're trying to write convincing 
dialogue for Ab- Abraham Lincoln. And you're not, like, going, oh, come on, like, dinosaurs and humans didn't exist together. Yeah, well, I mean, like, okay, so you've gotten to the Ice Age, then. Yeah. This is by far what I think is the best part of the game. Like, you're coming up on... So, like, there's a couple of parts of Chrono Trigger that really, really stand out in my mind. And one of them is the Tyranno Palace, the dungeon that you just completed, that you completed, Mm. um in 65 BC, 65 million BC. And then the other one is all of the Ice Age stuff with Zeo Palace and Shala and the Empress and the mm-hmm. Mammoth Machine. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's so good. Yes. I love this stuff. So, yeah, I got to the Ice Age, and I'm like, oh, it's an Ice Age, and, oh, that's a random dome thing? And... Now I'm teleporting up into, like, this cool cloud city, and I'm like, who are these people? And uh, so so everybody was going on and on about, like, how amazing the overworld theme is for Zeal, and, and like, I'll admit, like, I can't, like, place it in my mind. Like, I, I guess it was pretty good. It's good. You're, you're coming up on what I think is the best music in the game, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Undersea Palace dungeon music is, yeah. oh, it's so good. Yeah, so it was interesting kind of grokking, like, what exactly is going on with these people, and then also realizing, oh, those futuristic ruins in the future. Oh, that's the Zeal guys. Interesting. Okay. Like, now this is, like, all starting to make sense a little bit more. But then it's also doing the whole, oh, the queen is not herself, and there's, like, a mysterious person who's kind of helping her out, but who's this prophet guy? And, by the way, can you beat the, the boss... When they go, seize them. Yes, you can beat that boss, but it's really, really hard. Yeah, okay. So and if you do beat it, then the same story thing still happens anyway. I figured, yeah. I was worried that I had screwed up, though. Like, no, you didn't screw up. But it's telling that Chrono Trigger is good enough that it makes me wonder if like, that was a branch where like I had screwed up and had managed to not get one of the better endings. No, that doesn't affect... I don't, does it affect any of the endings? I don't think it does. I don't okay. think that's one of the triggers that affects an ending. Yeah. So, yeah, so, and then I got cast out, but then I eventually found the Epoch, and now I have a time-traveling airship? That's so cool! I love it. Uh, is it an airship? I mean, it's kind of an airship. Uh, that's true, yeah. Like, that was the first thing I was like, airship? It's kind of like an airship. Little, it's kind of like airship. a little egg thing. It's a, like an egg ship. Yeah, um, And then I had, like, a little clock, and I was like, ooh, clock. Okay, so I can go to the future, and I can go to 1999. I'm going to go to 1999, which, by the way, I love that 1999 is, like, such a climactic thing in, like, games from the 90s, because Castlevania Symphony of the Night, or, no, the Castlevania universe. Yeah. Like, 1999 is, like, a huge thing in that universe, yeah, it's too. Not, it's not Symphony of the Night. It's, um, Army uh, of Sorrow? Dawn of Sorrow. Uh, Arya Sorrow and Dawn of Sorrow yeah. established that the final battle against Dracula takes place in 1999 with Julius Belmont. And, yep. Yeah, and like they finally beat Dracula once and for all, but uh, the main character is going to potentially uh, become Dracula. Yeah. Okay, anyway, back to Chrono Trigger. Dracula, Castlevania is great, but Chrono Trigger is better. So I went to 1999... And uh, Lavos shows up, and I'm all like, oh, Lavos, uh, hi, Lavos. Uh, and then it's like, okay, uh, do you want to fight him now? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to fight him. I want to keep playing the game. You could fight him now. 
I know, no, yeah. The fact that you even have that option at that point in the game is super cool. That is actually really cool. Uh, can you beat him? I mean, okay, you can beat him, but how hard is it? Um, I've actually never tried... Without a new game plus, I've never tried to beat him at that point. So, I mean, it's, would, it would, would, would you just get rolled? Like, I guess I didn't... I should have done it. I don't know if you'd get rolled, but it would be really difficult. Okay. Yeah, I think it's... I. I would say that's probably possible to do. It's probably possible to do the first Lavos battle there. Okay. By the way, spoiler alert: Lavos is the final boss, so it has more than one battle with him. What? <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, now I'm at the part where I'm trying to get back into Zeal. Have you done Mount Woe yet? No. Yeah, I, I might be on Mount Woe. Okay, you're going. Are you going to free Melchior? The yes. Okay, yeah, you're on Mount Woe. I'm on Mount Woe. Yes, that's the one I'm at. That dungeon is really cool. Um, you think so? I think it's fun. Like, I, there's something about the enemy types in that dungeon that is really appealing to me. Um, like, that's the point in the game where you hit. Like, Chrono Trigger is really finely balanced, but for whatever reason, that one dungeon, you're slightly overpowered compared to all of the enemies, so you kind of just mow through them. But then the boss at the end is really, really hard. Hmm. So I think that, like, I just love that dungeon so much. Um, I'm sure you've talked about this with Nadia, but I'm curious what your your party composition is right now. At the present, it is main character, Frog, and Princess Nadia. That is the correct combination. Yeah? Um, Yeah, it's either going to be... The group that I normally use is either... Uh, Frog, Chrono, and Marl, or Frog, Chrono, and uh, Ayla. It depends on whether you need more healing and magic, or you need more strength. Yeah, Frog, Chrono, and... So Frog is really good. Frog, and especially Frog's dual attacks with Chrono, are yeah. like game-breakingly good, almost from the very beginning. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I, I noticed that. With uh, Frog and Chrono and Princess Nadia, like, Marl, I suppose, um, I use X-Cross a lot because that is a really good ability. But then there's also the, oh, God, um, they have Ice Water. Yeah, Ice Water is crazy good. Yeah, like, just having that, like, is basically screen clearing for a lot of, like, regular enemies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you're just... Fighting a boss, um, Chrono and Frog can do a lot of damage together, but Fro- Chrono and Frog can also do pretty good damage just by themselves, and Nadia can sit around and, like, do a lot of healing. Yeah, and I, the thing so Frog is, like, totally essential to every party composition in that game, I think, because he's the most versatile character. He's the one that has the best attacks combined with the best healing abilities, and he has dual attacks... He has healing dual attacks with every character that can do a healing move. I think except for Princess Nadia. And he does, and he has uh, strength attacks with every other character, I think. Mm. Um, he's super good. Um, yeah. I love that game so much. Plus he has the Maximum, yeah. Which is hands down, like, the bossest weapon in the game for so long. Mm. Because you get the, it lands critical hits so easily, you get mm-hmm. that sweet critical hit sound. Mm-hmm. That is maybe the most... That is up there with... Oh, what's the menu select sound that I really love? 
I think it's like a. I think it's the Final Fantasy like yeah. seven and eight menu select sound. Yeah, it's a great sound effect. Isn't like it? that sound effect is right up there with the Chrono Trigger critical hit sound effect. Oh, and I'm gonna make me go find it so that I can drop it in here. But if there's nothing wrong with that, everybody needs a little bit of Chrono Trigger critical hit sound effect in their life. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, no. Um, actually, there was a period where I was using her name's Ayla, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was using Chrono, Ayla, and Robo. That's also a really good combo, but you don't have a lot of healing power with that group. No, you don't. Um, and that was the combo that I had when I was fighting the big robot. Mm. Um, I mean, Robo was doing a lot of the healing for me, but the thing is that, like, Ayla, like, gives you so much strength that, like... Yep. I was still doing a fair... Like, I was still doing okay, and, like, her Falcon Strike ability, like... Like, really, really good. Yeah, it's crazy good. Yeah. Um, the Ayla Frog combo is really good because they get a lot of um, attack dual techs together, like you'd imagine. But they also get a healing one for the whole party, which is like Frog Kiss or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's totally ridiculous, and I love it. <laughs> so, uh, Luke, um, Luca. Yeah, Luca. She's not any good? I think that she's great. She's a really great character. It's just that, and also, like, her techs and stuff are awesome. Um the problem is that she tends to have the worst weapons out of everyone, mm. so it's really hard to use her well, like, in just random battles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, when you get her her ultimate weapon at the end of the game, it becomes even harder to use her effectively. Okay. So... That was she, the thing with Marl, or Princess Nadia, or whatever, is that, like, her weapon kind of sucks. It kind of does. She starts getting, around Zeal, she starts getting better weapons. Yeah, she's starting to get much better weapons now. Yeah, around Zeal, like, everyone starts getting much better weapons, but especially Nadia um, catches up. And, like, yeah, she's... The thing about that game that I also really love is that there's not really a wrong party composition to use. Mm -hmm. It's just that there are ones that are way more optimal than others. Like, the game is... Not particularly difficult, no matter who you're using. It's more about what you want to use and kind of where, what party dialogue you want to see. Even though there's not really a... I'm trying to remember how much character-specific dialogue there is in that game. And it might be different, different in the DS version. But I don't remember there being a whole bunch. What about Chrono Frog and Robo? Never. I've never used that team. Not once. In like the five or six times I've played that game. Alright. It's probably not any good. I like I like Robo a lot. I like Robo a lot, but uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that I find interesting about the Chrono Trigger battle system is it's deceptively deep, um, just in all of the different combinations. But it's also very simple and like really easy to understand right off the bat. It's like oh, double text or dual text and triple text. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, I've just unlocked my first triple tech. I'm very excited. Oh yeah, triple text. The best. Like, that is, like, totally boss. It's basically a limit break. Uh, it does a lot of damage. It looks cool. Like, you're like, yeah, I'm going to break this out against a boss. It does a lot of... Uh, and you feel like you're you're no longer, like, going, okay, but what is this character going to do? You don't feel like you're having as many wasted actions. Yeah, that's actually the really nice thing about that game's tech system is every character can do something good every turn. Whether it's something on their own or combining with another character to use one of the techs, like, it's always good. There's always something that feels really good to do. And then also there's the position. Like, I really wish that game took more advantage of, like, the the battlefield positioning stuff and the area of effect abilities. 
But the fact that it's even there and that when you use them effectively, it feels super good. Like, that's nice. Like, Cyclone is really the only one where you kind of, that you kind of use regularly as, like, an area of effect attack. But, like, the fact that you can line up X-Strike to hit more than one thing at a time, it feels really good whenever you do that. Yeah, I like the positioning aspect of it. That's actually really smart and something that you just do not get in a game like Final Fantasy VI. No. The only other RPG... So, Grandia did a little bit of that. And then the Lunar games also did a little bit of that. It's honestly kind of brilliant. And, like, we were talking about this actually in the last episode. Just the way that the encounters work, where it's, like, really... It's, like having the characters on the screen just enables so many different storytelling beats that you simply would not have with a lot of different games. Like, I loved the entire Aussie thing. Like, I was... Oh, yeah, the Aussie stuff is great. Like, it's really phenomenal. I think the funny thing is that uh, Final Fantasy VII got so much crap for having only three characters versus the four of, like, Final Fantasy, like, six. Out of all of the problems with Final Fantasy VII, I cannot understand why that is the thing. Well, here's the thing, was that people were kind of, like, focusing on the wrong thing. They were focusing on the fact that you had only three characters, but what they should have been focusing on is the fact that all of the three characters were basically the same outside of the limit break. Yeah. Um, whereas in Chrono Trigger, each character is wholly unique. Like, they all bring their own double dual text and their own triple text, and then you combine them in interesting ways. Yeah. And in many respects, it is the best of both worlds of... Final Fantasy IV and Dragon Quest and all of that. It's customizable. Like, there, you have control over your party composition, so it feels good. And, it's like, you have meaningful decisions to make, but it's also really accessible, and the characters feel unique in their own way. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's kind of the heart of it. That's why Chrono Trigger is so good. I mean, it's just... The reason that I was going, wow, this is, like, so good is because it hits all of the nodes. Like, it looks amazing. The battle system works extremely well, deceptively deep. The story is already really phenomenal. Uh, I love the music. I like the world. I'm just... I don't know how many times I can sit here and gush about Chrono Trigger on this podcast. I really, really wish that I could be here next week when you finish up the Zeal arc. So that I could talk with you about this game again. Sorry. Because you're, you're coming up on like all the stuff in the game that is my favorite stuff, which is also a really huge turning point for mm-hmm. it, too. So like, like the fact that you have not played it before and is really fascinating to me. Like I really want to know <laughs> what somebody who's never played this game before would experience that stuff as. Yeah, well, I guess we're going to find out. I guess so. <laughs> Um, and also, I would actually, so, also going back to, like, the on-screen battle stuff, um, when you finish the game, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember if it was, I've actually been at AGDQ or SGDQ, not this year, but last year, somebody did a Chrono Trigger speedrun, and it's fascinating to watch the way that they abuse and use the fact that everything is on the same map. Um, I think we finished the game in, like, two and a half or three hours or something, which yeah. is pretty amazing for what it is. It is actually pretty amazing. Yeah, and if there's not, like, any significant clips or bugs or anything like that, it's them knowing which fights they can skip and how. Yes, yes, because, like, so much of that is, like, pre-set up. In fact, the only time that I've actively gotten gotten annoyed with the game is that what is when I've accidentally 
been sent back around on something like when I'm in a dungeon or something trying to get into a door and oh. I've like found myself getting past stuck in a bunch of unskippable fights. Yeah, and you, you kind of like loop back around and you end yeah. up in the same fights again. Yeah, did that happen to you in Magus's castle a lot? A little bit, but also on the reptite thing, like that happened to me. A oh yeah, the, times. oh yeah. Wait, if you fall through the floor and yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a little bit confusing the layout. So I was trying to figure out how to get to the final part of that dungeon. Mm-hmm. By the way, the dungeons are really elaborate. The dungeons in, the, in this game are crazy elaborate, and they're all also like really good. They all have a lot of personality to them. Yeah. Um, they're elaborate, even the ones that are more or less just a straight A to B line, um, like the City 17 Ruins um, and the uh, the Mass Immune Dungeon. What's the name of that mountain? Mount, yeah, I don't know. Um, can't remember. Like, both of those dungeons are essentially straight line shots from A to B, but they're designed really beautifully and they have a lot of character to them and they feel like real places. Like, this... The visual design in Chrono Trigger is just off the charts good. So good. All right, so this has been another Chrono Trigger report. Yeah, Chrono Trigger. I promise to keep playing, um, even though I'm like the Switch is coming out this week, and like I've got a bunch of other stuff to be playing. We got a Nier Automata code, and like GDC is going on. But I swear to God, I'm going to keep playing. Oh, okay. So if we want to talk for a moment about people experiencing games for the first time, I played Ooh. I played Nier for the first time. Oh, yeah. Like, give us, like, your 30-second recommendation on that one. My 30-second recommendation is very easy because going to that game, not knowing anything about it, which is exactly what I did, Mm. and the combat stuff is not great. Like, the combat is easily the worst part of that game, which is why, like, the Nier Automata demo is so awesome because it sells me on the one thing about that game they needed to improve. A friend of mine described Nier as Frog Fractions Zero. Which I think is the best possible way to describe that game. Wow. Okay, because they're like it throws in so many different genres. It is. Yeah, it is a game that where. Okay, so another good way to sell it is and like in the the beginning of the game. Oh, I'm a dad and I'm protecting my little girl from like all these crazy monsters. Oh, there's this weird magic book. Okay, I'm obviously playing a tutorial. I'm like learning how to fight. I'm learning what all the magic does. Okay, I can kind of see how this would be good. Screen goes black, smash cut to title card that says 1,432 years later. And I'm like, oh my god, this game is fucking bonkers. <laughs> and, it go, and it just goes totally off the rails from right there. Like, and it's, But it does so in a way where it's got a really strong through line. And actually the voice acting is pretty good for a game of that vintage. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really strange, good game that tackles a lot of stuff that you don't really see in games. Like, there's a lot of metafictional and narrative elements to it, and the the less I say about it, the better overall. And this, I really love that game. One playthrough will take you, like, maybe 12 to 16 hours, but to get the full everything out of that game, you have to play through it three times. Yep. Um, but also, when you do your New Game Plus, it only, you only have to play the back half of it, so each New Game Plus is, like, only four to six hours which is really smart. So, like, I put 25 or 30 hours into that game total, and it's, like, maybe my favorite thing that I played last year. Certainly towards the top of the list. Talking about controversial reviews, uh, Nier is, like, one of the... I believe it was a joystick review where the reviewer, like, got stuck on the fishing and got so pissed off that they quit. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so crazy, because I actually really liked the fishing. 
It was like I might be the only person on the planet who likes the fishing in Nier. It was basically fishing gate. Like they were like, no, oh, no, screw the fishing. Ah, quit, quit. Speaking of fishing, like not to go back to Final Fantasy 15 for too long, but the fishing in that game is like it's so good. It's basically an arcade game that is about fishing. Have has anybody written the complete history of fishing in video games? Mm, probably not. Because if they haven't, I don't know why this isn't on our site. Yeah, maybe you should assign that to somebody. Katie? <laughs> or anyone. I'm going to totally probably Katie. Katie. Yeah. She, she would do a good job with that. I, like, because, like, there's that great gif, like, going around of, like, Yakuza Zero, where, like, he's fishing. Oh, yeah. So, Yakuza Zero is the game that, like, there's a huge, God, 2017 is already an embarrassment of riches. And by the time Nier and Persona 5 come out and the first couple of episode DLCs for Final Fantasy XV hit and everything, maybe then I'll have time for Yakuza 0. You know what Yakuza 0 needs to be on? Switch. The Switch! I need to play this on the road! Every game needs to be on the Switch. Yeah, but especially Yakuza Zero. I'm I, sorry. That's I have like, a, that game is match made in heaven. I have a friend who is a dad, and the only game he's been playing since it came out has been Yakuza Zero. He would 100% agree with you, because all he wants to do is play Yakuza Zero. He's stuck in like a parking lot with his daughter sleeping in the car seat in the back of his car. He's like, man, I really wish I had a Switch right now. I could be playing some Zelda. But if you could be playing Yakuza Zero on it. This is going to be really interesting, because not to get too deep into the Switch, but I wonder if, like, the mental disconnect that, that always existed between consoles and, like, say, a, con- a handheld like the Vita and the 3DS will start to go away. Because all of a sudden, because you can plug it into your TV, and it becomes an, a quote-unquote proper console, and then you can unplug it, and it's on the road, and it's fine. I mean, like, that's Nintendo's whole pitch, right? Like- yeah. They're really banking on the idea of, oh, this is a thing that you plug into your TV, but you can also take it somewhere else with you. Like that's super appealing to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to wait for a little while on the Switch because I wanted to have a couple more games that I want to play before. I'm not gonna get it at launch just to play Zelda and then wait like five months for something else to play on it. I mean, there'll be indies on it. There will be. It would be a great way for me to finally play Shovel Knight. Yeah. But oh Shovel, my, what what I what? haven't played. I have not played what? Shovel Knight. You gotta play Shovel Knight. I will play Shovel Knight when I get a Nintendo Switch. Dear God, Steve, play Shovel Knight. I will play it Shovel Knight when I get a Nintendo Switch. It was literally the best game of 2014. I'm I'm well aware of what an awesome game that is. Literally. I Yes, I know. I still need to play Pocket Card Jockey, by the way, too. Oh my God. Uh, Steve, best sports game of 2016. I'm, I'm downloading it when I get home. God, Steve, you gotta play that game. That You will, like... I will hear you laughing I'm, in the okay. air from, as you're heading back to Washington. I swear to God. The, so the last time I was out here at the start of the month, you and me and our friend Lester were in a bar, and you were telling us about Pocket Card Jockey. The next, the day after I got home from San Francisco, he sent me a text message that said, Pocket Card Jockey is the truth. It is the truth. So I, I'm I'm fully on board for this. You don't have to sell me on it anymore. I'm going to play all right, it. All right. I wish I were playing it right now. But, uh, so anyway, yeah, Nintendo Switch is going to be really interesting. I am totally biased in the fact that I'm the kind of person who wants to take their video game platform of choice, curl up on the, on the couch or on an, in an armchair with a cup of tea, and play there. Like, I'm not the kind of person who plays on the TV anymore, like, given the opportunity. Like, unless it's for work. Like, or Madden. 
Yeah, I like playing on. I like playing really games that have a really huge visual scope on the TV. Um, but I mean, I'm just assuming be playing a lot of them on a smaller monitor upstairs, or yeah. For me, like the real big thing about the Switch is okay. I can take it with me when I'm traveling, or oh, my girlfriend wants to watch something on TV, or I want to watch something on TV, and we've got the Switch. Somebody plays something on the Switch. Somebody plays something on someone something else. Like the Switch is the perfect thing to have when you want to be doing something, when someone else wants to use the TV, but you also want to play Zelda. Mm-hmm. Like, the Wii U kind of had that promise. Kind of. But the Switch definitely has that promise. It kind of had that promise until I went, like, five feet away from the, the little base. I'm going to be honest, I never even tried it, because my bedroom is upstairs. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, the base, for me, like, was in the living room, and I would go into the next room, which was the office, and it would cut out. Close the doors? I mean, no, I mean, I didn't, like, you get even a little bit further oh, far away wow. from it, and it just cuts out, and it's like, oh, like, so I'm certainly not taking this thing to bed with me. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, but you will with the Switch until the battery runs out. USB-C. Just plug it off in, plug it in. I guess that's the answer. I mean, like, if you're not going to plug it in, then, okay, great, you're on a flight, a cry. you're on a flight that's like three or four hours, it's probably the battery life of your Switch. Play it on the plane, charge it when you get to the hotel, and you're good. Indeed. Steve, it's been like an hour and 20 minutes, and um, I think that it's about time to wrap up, because we're like old and stuff, and yeah, it's past our bedtime. Uh, yeah, I actually have to go back to the hotel and write, oh. um, write a talk for the conference that I'm at this week that is not GDC, unfortunately. Man, that sounds really nerdy. Like, yeah, you uh, should be cool and hang out here and keep talking into this podcast with me about mm. RPGs. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, why don't you invite me back sometime? <laughs> All right. I think I can do that. Persona 5? Oh, my God. That is just around the corner, isn't it? It's coming it's, out in... It is a month away. Shut up. Ugh. God, I April can't... April 5th. I cannot wait. Uh, alas, I did not... Uh, I'm not going to be on the review for that one. No, you're not. I really want to review it, but... Do you really want to review it? It's like, no, it's like I don't have... It's like 130 hours of game. I don't have time. I do not have time, but I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it as fast as I can. Promise. God, I don't know if I want to play it fast or not, but I am going to be playing it. So, and that, that is a game that I'm buying and starting to play day one. It's. I live in a house of three people who love Persona. Mm. We all want to play it, and none of us are willing to be spoiled. Oh, that's going to be we're, really tricky. We're actually going to have to work are out a schedule sharing? about who gets to play Persona and when. But are you sharing the same TV? Yes. Oh, you're screwed. I know. Yeah, I, I was do. even debating, like, I could buy the PS3 version and then bring my PS3 upstairs Ooh. and play it up there. You know what would rectify this? Switch. I know. Please. Nintendo Switch. Please, Atlas, for the love of God, please put Persona 5 on the Switch. I mean, we are a two Zelda fan household in here. And when Twilight Princess came out, um, we played at the same time, and I literally had to leave the house while she was playing so I didn't get spoiled on <laughs> the, the, the puzzles and stuff like that. So... Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be a thing with Breath of the Wild. It's not going to be... A, the problem is that she's going to insist playing on the TV. Like, she is not going to Ooh. play handheld. She's going to need to play it on the television. She's not going to want it. Are you going to want to play it on the television? Or no, I'm going to be in tablet mode. Okay. Yeah. I'm really curious what your guys' experience is going to be like then, because she'll she'll have the super high fidelity, amazing TV experience, and you'll have the what is it like a it's the tablet mode? Yeah, the tablet like mode. Handheld. What size is it? 
I mean, it's not that it's big, huge. but it's certainly a lot bigger than the 3DS. Yeah, I, I know that it's... The screen's okay. actually really good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe Zelda should be best enjoyed on the television, but it's fine on the screen. It actually looks pretty good, so... Yeah. Cool. Um, you really, really quickly, like, you wanted to extol the virtues of Night in the Woods, so I guess this is a, like, moment. I will absolutely take a few minutes, or a few seconds, to extol the virtues of Night in the Woods, which is... And it's also sort of tangentially related to a lot of the stuff that we that I was talking about with Final Fantasy XV in that it's like a hangout game mm. where it's, oh, I'm going to play this game where like I just wander around and I do some cool stuff with my buds for a while and then you know, I feel good by the end of it. Um, in other words, you won't necessarily feel good by the end of it. <laughs> in fact, you might feel pretty bad. Um, mm. I felt really bad a lot while playing it because the, uh, the main character reminded me a lot of what I was like in my early twenties. Okay. Um, but if you're not aware, uh, Night in the Woods is a PC game. It's also on PS4 right now, I think. Um, and the story of the game is that a college student in her early twenties comes back home after dropping out of school in her sophomore year. And, uh, she like just goes back. She's... She's there. It's the it's a game that takes place during her first week back home. Okay. Um, and all the characters are adorable anthropomorphic animal people, like sort of in a Richard Scary kind of style. Um, it's a really unique and interesting visual style. I really like it. Um, it's I would describe it mostly as it's a lot like an adventure game um, in that. You kind of solve like minor environmental puzzles sometimes. You navigate the environment through, um, like, really, it's kind of floaty, but also really satisfying 2D platforming. Um, you get to have some dialogue options. There's a mini game where you throw pierogies into your friend's mouth. I love it. It's super good. All right. Night in the Woods. Totally gets the Steve Tramer's stamp of recommendation, it, as does Final Fantasy XV, apparently. And, and also Nier. And think, near. I don't think you're cutting that part, so. I think that... <laughs> Unless you are. There may have been an entire conversation cut from this, but you will never know what. It's a mystery, actually. It's the Torment Tides of Numenera conversation. Yeah, they, well, the second Torment conversation. Yeah, the second Torment conversation. Didn't work out. But you know what? Next week, we're going to have Rowan on, probably. And yeah, we're going to... to Rowan about that. We're He's gonna, played it. Yeah, by that time, everybody will have had a chance to, like, Maybe engage a little more with the game and, like, have a better feeling for it. And maybe also I will have had a chance to play it, it a little more as well. So, yeah. All right. Steve, uh, where can we reach you? You can reach me on the internet. Whoa. I know. Uh, you can reach me on the Twitter, at a tweeting twit. Okay. Um, I am doing some games writing right now on my website, genericdomain.name. <laughs> How very clever. My, girl, very my clever. girlfriend came up with it, and Scott Sharkey was jealous that I got to register it before he did. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, I love that he didn't think of it uh, before he did. Excellent. All right. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot and check out all of our writing. Uh, this past week, we've been doing a lot of writing on GDC, uh, and we have a lot of Switch coverage going up. Uh, Mike has been really killing it with his Switch coverage. Uh, and he's been reviewing Legend of Zelda. By the time this podcast goes up, our Switch review and our Zelda review should be up. So I'm sure that mass hysteria is going to break out. Dogs oh, and cats living together. Et yeah. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, man. 
I'm so excited for the Switch, even though I'm not going to have one for a while. This is legitimately the most excited I've been for a Nintendo console since, well, since the Wii, but <laughs> maybe even more so than the Wii. I'm more excited for it than I was for the Wii. I think that it had, like, I like my Wii U a lot. Like, it's got some really good games on it. Yeah. But I think I would probably love the Switch. Well, I guess we'll find out, won't we? Captain Toad 2. That's all I want. <laughs> oh my god. Don't play with my heart like that. Don't play with my heart like that. If I could make it happen, I would. Oh, by the way, if you like the podcast, uh, do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. Um, leave us a nice review. Uh, say why you like the RPG podcast. The Blood God will be pleased. And uh, also, if you have something to add, if you want to send an email, you should drop me a line at cat.bailey.usgamer.net. We have this column called Starting Screen that we do every Monday, and the entire uh, the entire team has been doing it, and I've been doing an obscure RPG of the week there, so if you have an obscure RPG of the week, you should drop me a line at cat.bailey.usgamer.net, and I will share it in Starting Screen. Also, read it. Share it with your friends. Like, put a lot of love into that column, and more people should read it. So, all right. For Steve and myself, thanks for coming by. Nadia will be back next week. Don't you worry. And until then, I've been Cat Bailey. See you again. Bye.